Assalamu alaikum. You're listening to exclusive content brought to you by Seekers Guidance. We are committed to make reliable Islamic knowledge accessible and free of charge. Help us in our mission by making a small donation at seekersguidance.org slash donate. Even $10 a month can go a long way. La ilaha illallah Muhammad Rasulullah Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi ta'ala wa barakatuhu. Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen wa sallallahu wa sallam wa barak ala Sayyidina wa Nabina wa Habibina wa Qurrati Ayunina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam. Welcome to our ongoing sessions on embracing excellence in which we're looking at Imam al-Haddad's brilliant summation of living and operationalizing the sunnah of our beloved messenger sallallahu alaihi wasallam outwardly and inwardly with beauty balance and excellence with consistency and directedness towards allah subhanahu wa ta'ala such that we can prioritize the next life over this and the pleasure of allah over fleeting pleasures and it's an amazing amazing work and if this is the first time you're joining us, do check out the whole series. It's on our YouTube channel and you can find it also at seekersguidance.org. This session today is one of the most important and challenging topics in our religion. A topic that people easily fall into either excess or remissness regarding. And that is the topic of commanding the good and forbidding the wrong. It is very easy to go over the top and be excessive in commanding the good in a manner that turns it into an exercise in evil or an exercise in wrongdoing or an exercise in folly. On the other hand, there is widespread laxity over commanding the good and forbidding the wrong, which results in much of the good not being called to and not being promoted and much evil being allowed to remain, fester, spread and harm. So Imam al-Haddad rahimahullah ta'ala says, may Allah benefit us from his knowledge and wisdom and from you he says rahimahullah it is upon you to command the good and to forbid the wrong for it is the axis around which the matter of religion revolves because commanding the good and forbidding the wrong is the axis around which the matter of religion revolves because religion as we see from surah al-asr has a personal component, which is those who believe and who do righteous deeds. But there's a social component to it, without which it is deficient, which is and who remind one another to truth. And that is through commanding the good and through sincere counsel, and through forbidding the wrong. And who remind one another to remain steadfast on the truth and to steadfastly leave what is wrong. And it is because of this that Allah sent down revealed books and sent messengers. And the obligation of commanding the good and forbidding the wrong, he says, is a matter around which there is consensus of the Muslims and the texts of both the Quran and the Sunnah of our beloved messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam with respect to the command to uphold these and the warning against leaving them are manifest and I would encourage you to look at the related chapters for example in Riyadh Salihin in the gardens of the righteous and we have a reader on commanding the good and forbidding the wrong at seekersguidance.org do check that out Allah Most High tells us, وَلْتَكُمْ مِنْكُمْ أُمَّةٌ Let there be amongst you a community. يَدْعُونَ إِلَى الْخَيْرِ Who call to all 
good. وَيَأْمُرُونَ بِالْمَعْرُوفِ And who command what is good. وَيَنْهَوْنَ عَنِ الْمُنْكَرِ And who prohibit all that is wrong. وَأُولَٰئِكَ هُمُ الْمُفْلِحُونَ And these are the ones who are indeed successful. So Allah, Imam al-Haddad says, Allah Most High has described the believers in many places in his book as being those who command the good and forbid the wrong. Right? This is a distinguishing quality of faith because none of you believes until they wish for others of the good that they wish for themselves. As the Prophet ﷺ said, religion itself is sincere concern for good. And we want the good in our relationship with Allah, in our relating to his book and his prophet. And we want the good with respect to both the leaders of people and for the common person. So he says, and in some places Allah has described believers as being those who command the good before describing them as having belief, as having iman. And in other places, Allah has described them as having this quality of commanding the good before establishing the prayer and giving zakat. And the wisdom behind this is, the ulama of tafsir mentioned, that faith itself is not preserved collectively unless there is commanding of the good. Prayer is not preserved collectively and thereby individually because the collective is only the collective of individuals. And if the collective good is gone, individual good becomes hard to remain. So it's not possible to preserve prayer or zakat without commanding the good. Allah Most High says, cast away from mercy were those who rejected faith of Bani Israel on the tongue of Dawood and Isa ibn Maryam. And that is because they transgressed and would go beyond all limits. They would not desist from wrong and evil that they did. And what, an, what a terrible thing did they do. Why? Because they had faith and they had guidance. But these individuals from them, despite their faith and despite their guidance, did not desist themselves from the wrong. And they would not forbid each other from the wrong, saying, well, that's their problem. No. Right? We must desist from the wrong ourselves and we must discourage others from the wrong. And Allah Most High says, وَاتَّقُوا فِتْنَةً لَا تُصِيبَنَّ الَّذِينَ ظَلَمُوا مِنْكُمْ And be fearfully wary of a tribulation that will not befall only those who do wrong amongst you specifically. that when there's wrongdoing taking place, the wrongdoers will eventually suffer loss as a result of that wrongdoing. But all those who were capable of stopping the wrongdoing or speaking out against the wrongdoing or at the very least disliking the wrong and having the sincere hope of being able to do something about it. All those who could have done something at any of the levels of action, whether effective change or speaking out, or at the very least, sincerely hoping for change, they too will be negatively affected by the wrongdoing of those who do wrong. Right? We just turning a blind eye is from spiritual blindness and it is darkness. It is not a way of minding your own business and being safe. Because your business is both the individual good that you must uphold, but also to take seriously the collective good, the good of others, out of 
genuine mercy and out of slavehood to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And the Messenger of Allah, peace and blessings be upon him, commanded whoever of you sees the wrong, let them change it with their hands. This is Sahih Hadith. If they cannot, then let them change it with their tongue. If they cannot, then with their tongue, meaning then let them change it with their tongue. And if they cannot, then with their heart. And that is the weakest of faith. Right? So faith entails doing the good and seeking the good for oneself and assisting others in doing the good and seeking the good for them. So, and the opposite, keeping away from the wrong oneself and keeping others away from the wrong for the sake of their good. So if one finds oneself in a situation where one can change the good directly, then one must with the principles that will be highlighted. If any of you see, see the wrong, let them change it with their hand, meaning, meaning let them stop it. If they cannot, such, such as for example, that the wrong being something related to the public, to, to public matters that return to matters of government, government, um, policy, etc., then that is the responsibility of the government, but we actively petition them to act in different ways. If you cannot do that, then change it with your tongue through reminder, through admonition, etc. But Allah SWT says that speaking out against it is part of the change. And if they cannot change it with the hand, nor change it with the tongue, then change it with your heart. And that's the least of it. Changing with the heart is having the sincere hope for change and carefully considering, is there anything that I can do to change it? Is there... And maybe you can't do something about it now, you could do something about it later. Maybe you could raise awareness about it. Right? You could encourage others. Sometimes you cannot speak out against it yourself, but you could engage with others, or you could encourage others to step in. And that is the least of faith. But we know that if enough people dislike the wrong, eventually the wrong will change, because that creates a momentum towards the good. And the beloved messenger, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, said, by the one in whose hand is my soul, you will surely command the good and you will surely forbid the wrong or otherwise it is to be feared that Allah will send upon you a punishment and then you will call upon him and you may not be answered. Right? So failing to command the good and forbidding the wrong is a cause for individual and collective delaying of divine response to our supplications and prayers. How do we remove that individually? By repenting from our incapacity, from our inattention to commanding the good, to our inattention to, to speaking out in good, in good ways, of our lack of concern for the good, our lack of hate for the wrong, and just ignoring it. And the Prophet ﷺ said that whoever does not have mercy for our young and respect for our elders and command the good and forbid the wrong is not from us, meaning is not upholding the way of the Prophet ﷺ. Whoever does not have mercy on our young, respect for our elders, and who does not command the good and forbid the wrong, there's three qualities, is not following the way of the Prophet So this is the background, so he says, so know well that commanding the good and forbidding the wrong is a communal obligation, such that if some people fulfill it, the responsibility is lifted from all others, and the sin of remissness is lifted.
But the, he reminds us the reward of commanding the good and forbidding the wrong is limited to those who do it or who support it actively. Right? You helped fund the ulama. You helped fund those who engage in political advocacy. You helped fund those who are raising awareness about those oppressed. You know, whoever they may be, those wrongfully incarcerated, those um, trapped in all kinds of debt traps, those um, affected by Canadian mining companies' destructive environmental practices overseas, those who are in what can just be described as concentration camps of our Rohingya brethren in western China or East Turkmenistan, however you want to refer to it as. Right? So the reward is specific to those who are actively engaged in commanding the good and forbidding the wrong, or those actively assisting them. And if no one fulfills a communal obligation related to a commanding, to, to commanding the good or forbidding the wrong, then the harm of that affects all the Muslims who would be otherwise able to remove it. So the fact that we don't have sufficient religious guidance in our community, so people lack knowledge of the religion, so they're lax about the limits of Allah, they're falling into sin. And those who have the knowledge to spread guidance, to raise awareness, they would be culpable to the extent that they do not do their best, but everyone else is culpable because as a collective ummah, we're not fulfilling that communal obligation to the extent that there are people oppressed or wronged religiously, politically, socially, economically, environmentally, in all these ways of wrongdoing. And to the extent that the people who are responsible for, who are engaged in those things are not fulfilling their responsibilities, they are sinful. But as an ummah, we're, we're negligent of these things. So this is an important reminder that in months such as this, when the people are calling to support religious organizations who are spreading the good, even if you don't agree with them 100%, yeah, some things you don't, you don't quite like, support those who are engaged. You know, there's five maqasid of the sharia, the preservation of religion. So support those involved in religious good. The preservation of life, the preservation of intellect, the preservation of wealth, the preservation of honor. So th all the ways of good have communal obligations related to. So strive to spread your giving through all those categories and have at least one door of good that you are directly involved with in or that you are actively supporting with what Allah has blessed you of time and human capacities. And Imam al-Haddad continues, and the, your obligation is that if you see whoever leaves something of the obligatory good or who does something of the wrong, is that you make them aware that this matter is of the obligatory good or this is of the sinfully wrong. If they do not leave it, then you should admonish them. You should admonish them and rebuke them with wisdom as suitable to the context. If you are, if they don't desist, then you change it with your hand, right? Um, but this is only if this will result in the good and it will not lead to individual or collective harm. It won't cause the individual person to turn away from religion or, or disrespect religion or, or it won't lead to broader societal harms. Right? So this is a matter that many people are having trouble with in our times because in a society where there's widespread respect of religion and widespread adherence to the limits of religion, if someone steps away from the limits and you drag them back, they will return. But in a situation where there's loss of respect of religion and lack of adherence to the limits of religion, if you drag people back, 
they will flee away and turn away as we know from many hadiths of the Prophet Sallallahu so, so he mentioned such as by breaking uh, musical instruments that are prohibited or if one sees wine to pour, pour it out onto the street or to if there's wrongfully taken money to go and take that wrongfully taken wealth and return it to those who own it. This of course requires number one knowledge and wisdom and wisdom is the capacity to soundly discern the consequences of actions. Right? So this is not something that can be implemented literally, particularly in, in these times. Um, right? And he said, and this rank can only be upheld by someone who gives of themselves for the sake of Allah Most High, or someone who has permission from the authorities for this. Right? Because maintaining the public order and the public good is ultimately the responsible of the responsibility of the public authorities, government and the like. Um, as for the first two ranks, says the author, Imam al-Haddad rahimahullah ta'ala, um, there, which are namely uh, making people aware of what is right and wrong, and um, so informing, right, through teaching them to making them aware, and number two, to remind them and admonish them, these, no one should fall short of fulfilling except for someone who is ignorant and who is muhabbit, is an ignorant person who's blundering in their religious life or a scholar who is neglectful, that you see people doing the wrong and the least, conceptually, the least thing is you must hate it in your heart. But it's not just hate it in your heart. The hatred in the heart is that you hate it such that you hope that it can be changed. What is hope? Hope is to seek a positive outcome and to strive to take the means that, that would result in it. So you consider, what, can I do something about this? So you want the good. You want the good. You see something wrong. You want the good. That's the least of faith. You want the good for them. You see a fellow Muslim drinking alcohol. The least of faith is you don't want them to do that because you care about them. None of you believe until they wish for, for others that, of the good that they wish for themselves. Then they ask themselves, that, okay, what could I do about it? Right, that is hope. That is to hate it with the heart. Right? Can I do something about it? If you realize that you genuinely can't, and maybe if it's an ongoing issue, Genuinely hating it with your heart and not just fake hating it is that you would consult you go to your friend Farid and say Farid, you know um, Zubair started drinking alcohol Can we do something about it and that's sincere concern you can consult somebody when the concern is sincere It's not just false concern That is hating it with the heart. It's not faking it with the heart Because how are you gonna trick God? then if you are able to do something then to change it with the tongue, which has two components. To inform them of what is right or what is wrong. And number two, to admonish them after that, as would be suitable. And the admonishment is not sought for itself, but it's to say that which is likely to be a benefit. Sayyidina Ali, who is reported to, address people in accordance with their understanding. Otherwise, do you wish for Allah and His Messenger to be denied? So Imam al-Haddad says, know well that commanding the good and forbidding the wrong are obligatory. And prohibiting the wrong is obligatory. And commanding the things that are recommended and prohibiting the dislike is recommended. So you see, for example, someone praying and in their prostration, their toes are facing away from the qibla. It's a small thing. But it's contrary to the sunnah. The sunnah is, it's not obligatory, certainly not in the Hanafi school, but for the toes to be facing towards the qibla. Um, so you'll be recommended if you are hopeful of positive outcomes. It's recommended to advise 
in, with the adab, with the proper manners that he will highlight. And we do so with genuine love and mercy towards the person. And we do so in merciful ways as best we can. He says, and when you command the good or forbid the wrong, and, and your words are not given heed to, then you should keep away from the place where wrongdoing is taking place. And to keep away from the person who is doing the wrong. Right? Until they return to the command of Allah. And this applies particularly to the major sins. Someone is drinking. You don't just say, don't do that, and you sit with them. You keep away from them. Right? And of course, we command the good and forbid the wrong with respect to Muslims. who are, They're expected to uphold the command of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Right? And he says, and you, you should have a deep dislike for sin. And you should dislike those who remain consistently sinning and to hate them for the sake of Allah. And this is a duty for each believer. But of course, we hate not the person, we hate their wrongdoing, we hate their sin, we hate the evil that they're engaged in. We hate that quality for the sake of Allah. Right? And he says, if you command the good and forbidden the wrong, and then you are, you are wronged, or you are insulted, and you become angered by that, or your countenance changes, right? And you find a dislike for the action or the doer that you would not otherwise have had, when you saw or heard the wrong, then know that you are weak in faith. Because then, you, so if you commanded the good or forbidden the wrong, and they insulted you, they put you down, and you get more upset at you being insulted or abused than you felt with the limits of Allah being transgressed, then know that you are weak in your faith. Because then you're commanding the good and forbidding the wrong wasn't out of love and hate for the sake of Allah, it was out of some type of pride and self-consequence. So, be careful. Right? Um, because in that case, your own sense of self and, your, and what is yours is more dear to you than your religion and your Lord. Right? So, so then know and realize that if you command the good and forbid the wrong, and you will not be listened to, or your words will not be accepted, or you know that there'll be a greater harm as a result, either you will be harmed, or your wealth will be harmed, or it will result in greater sin, or greater wrongdoing, or a turning away. And this is a very important factor in our days. That if you command the good and forbid wrong, there's a genuine fear that the person could drift further away from the deen or even step away from the deen. Then it is permitted for you to remain quiet. And then the commanding, and for, the, then commanding the good and forbidding the wrong, instead of being obligatory, becomes a general virtue. If the harm is only returning to you yourself, I, they'll think you're, you're a weirdo for telling them to pray or whatever. If the harm is only to you, then it becomes a highly virtuous thing. That you encourage someone else to do the good and they did it. And they just think, they called you a loser. You did a great good. But if you didn't command the good because someone's not praying, you tell them to pray. And they decided to step away from the deen. Said, if your religion is all about prayer, then I have nothing to do. You know, something like that. Then... They're not praying is a harm, but they're turning away from the deen would have been a greater harm. So in that case, um, it may be wrong for you, right? So he says um, that if you know that the one who's doing the wrong will increase because of your commanding the, the good or prohibiting the wrong in what they're doing, or the harm would affect others 
of the Muslims, then being silent about it may be better, and in some cases may be obligatory. Right? So in some situation, for example, in some European countries, they are even talking about denying citizenship to people who are who refuse to shake hands during the citizenship ceremony. Now, for you there to go as a religious leader and make a public statement, that these things require very careful consideration. And matters like that should be left to those not just of knowledge but of experience. Right? Of consideration, not just of the benefits or just making a point, but careful consideration of the consequences. Right? And then he says, Rahimahullah Ta'ala, that beware of being weak, being weak in your principles. And this is called mudahana, which is duhun is, is, is butter, right? Or oil, right? Of buttering things up. Meaning that, you know, being weak in your principles, that you know something is correct. But you don't, hold, you don't uphold it because of fear of people or consequences. That is mudahana, where, which is tarkul haq min ajlil khalq. Right? It's to leave the truth because of people or circumstances. He says, beware of being weak in your principles. For it is, a, it is from the crimes and it is that the person... And it is such that you remain silent about the truth out of fear of missing out on some money or some prestige or some benefit um, from the person who's doing something wrong or other corrupt people. Right? So for example, you're at an iftar with influential people and they're sitting... And I was a bit, you know, last night we had an iftar and there's a historic event taking place for the entertainment-driven people of Canada. And I was wondering how soon would they pray Maghrib, but I was very happy because right when the time came in, Adhan was given, they turned, you know, they turned off the sound on the, on the game and thankfully the Qibla was the opposite direction of the TV screens. And everyone prayed right on time. But let's say you're at an influencer's uh, iftar and Maghrib time comes in and people delay Maghrib excessively. And you don't say anything. They don't break their fast. Why? Because the game's going on. And you don't say anything. Why? Because you don't want to look bad. You're hoping these guys will invest in your business. That is from weakness of religion. Right? Um, and then he says, it is incumbent upon you when you command the good or forbid the wrong that you have sincerity for the sake of Allah Most High. Number one. Number two, that you be gentle. That you be gentle, have rifq. The Prophet ﷺ said, Ya Aisha, O Aisha, gentleness is not found in anything except that it beautifies it. And gentleness is not stripped away from anything except that it leaves it ugly. That he said, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, the Prophet Sallallahu said, Allah is gentle and he loves gentleness. And he gives for gentleness what he doesn't give for harshness nor for anything else. رَزَقْنَ اللَّهُ سُبْحَانَهُ تَعَلَىٰ ذَلِكَ بِفَضْلِهِ وَكَرَمِهِ And he says, so the first is sincerity. The second is gentleness. The third is, وَحُسْنُ السِّيَاسَةِ And good diplomacy. Good diplomacy. From the good diplomacy of the Prophet Sallallahu when commanding the good and forbidding the wrong, is that, he would not tell people, he would not ask people, why are you doing this or that? But rather he would tell them the right thing to do. Tell them the right thing to do. So let's say someone is referring to your best friend as having a turnip nose. Right? Instead of getting into an argument, it's better to maybe take, you know, to consider having good diplomacy. How could you convey it in a good way? One of the things is the Prophet would suggest a good way. For example, the famous incident with his 
um, half son, right? the son of Um Salama, Umar ibn Abi Salama. He was a young child, really hungry, the food was served, and he attacked the food with both hands, eating from all over the platter. And he didn't say Bismillah. Now, if we were correcting someone like that, we'd say, What's wrong with you? Why didn't you say Bismillah? Why this? Why that? Right? Instead, all the Prophet said, Ya Ghulam, my dear child, begin in the name of Allah. Eat with your right hand and eat from what's in front of you. Right? Tell them what's the right thing to do and raise them up to be able to do it. Give them the key, point them to what's right and give them the keys to doing it. A lot of people, for example, if there's family members not eating the halal, you could argue with them, halal, zabiha, hand slaughtered, this, that, the other. Or instead you could just say, look, they're pretty much the same price. And there's a really good hand, sla hand slaughtered halal place just down the road. It's, they got really good service. They're very good to deal with. They have really good cuts of steak, this and that, depending on what the people like. And simple. Right? So point them towards the good and make the path of it facilitated and try to inspire them to do it. And, they'll, and most people are likely to respond to that. That's number three, having good diplomacy. Right? Number four is to manifest your shafaqa, your caring concern. Right? Your shafaqa, that you really care about them. Right? So these are four key qualities of commanding the good. Doing it sincerely for Allah. It's not because of you. You don't want to make a point. You don't want to look good, you don't want to appear strong, you don't want to show off your religious muscles. Sincerely for the sake of Allah, with gentleness, with good diplomacy. And the fourth is being manifestly concerned. You see the example of in, in the Quran of such people. The believer of from Al-Fir'aun admonishing his people. From the you know, from Antioch, which is, you know, or they say it's Antioch, but in, from Surah Yasin. From the end of the city came a man rushing. And he'd been, they say, this is not from the prophetic tradition, but he'd been ostracized. You know, the, the, the believers had been rejected in that city. They weren't even allowed to live in the city. They were cast out. They were like, like the Palestinians in encampments now, right? Like they're cast out, marginalized. But he came, yes'a, rushing. Ya qawmi, oh my people, ittabi'ul mursaleen. Follow the prophets, follow the messengers, right? And with complete concern, right? Even in, their, in his last breath, that is the quality of commanding the good. It says, whoever has these four qualities in them, um, if they have these four qualities plus they're acting on the good that they're commanding to striving to avoid the wrong that they are forbidding then in, invariably their words will have a strength and an awe and an impact on hearts and hearts will be affected by what they say and their words will be pleasing to ears and rarely would their words be rejected and he says and whoever is realized in being vigilant with Allah Most High and having you know having muraqaba and having trust upon Allah and whoever is characterized by mercy for Allah's servants will not be able to hold themselves back when they see the wrong except till it is removed or that something comes between it if they themselves cannot prevent it. But it comes not from commanding the good and forbidding the wrong does not come from destructive outrage, but rather comes from constructive connection with Allah, trust in Allah, being characterized by mercy for the, for the servants of Allah.
Right? Commanding the good is a call to love and expressed with love. And then he says, and beware lest you ever pry into the private affairs of others. Right? Such that you look into the things that are concealed of other Muslims and to their sins that are hidden. For the Prophet ﷺ said that whoever seeks out the faults of another, and you have to be particularly careful within the, with those who are close to you. Right? So you check someone's browsing history. Say, oh, he's my brother. I want to make sure he's not doing... You're not allowed to do that. Right? Um, right? There has to be a certain degree of trust. And there's ways for parents, for example, to have accountability of their children, but without prying into their affairs. That whoever seeks out the hidden faults of th their fellow believer, and this applies to every human being. Allah will seek out their hidden faults until Allah shames them, even if it be in the depths of their own home. Right? And then he says, and know well that a sin, if it is hidden, will not harm anyone but the one who does it. But if a sin becomes manifest and is not changed, its harm becomes widespread, right? Because there's six people in a home, one person didn't get up for Fajr. You don't say, oh, today I didn't get up for Fajr, because then someone else subconsciously doesn't feel such a big deal. And their lazy self will cause them to miss Fajr the next day. You go talk about it with others. So you're in that, by manifesting sins, you are as if it were calling people's lower selves to rise up to sin. Right, so this is an important thing. A sin, if it's concealed, only harms the one who did it. And the hope and presumption is that the one who sinned repents to Allah. But if the sin becomes manifest and is not changed, its harm becomes widespread. And then he says, Rahimahullah Ta'ala, in closing the chapter, And it is incumbent upon you, if sins become manifest openly and wrongdoing becomes open in a place that you are at and you are, have no hope that people will accept the truth, then you should keep away from that place because that is safety. And that happens at two, in two ways. This could be in a particular circumstance. Right? You go to a wedding and we're coming to wedding season. And believers, don't ruin your religion through these festive seasons. Right? If you're getting married, right, you're in desperate need of divine mercy. And if something starts off with the displeasure of Allah, how will you find the pleasure of Allah through that work? If you start on the right foot, then going in the right direction is far easier. There are people um, court you know, divine tests by the way they conduct their marriages. And it's not that difficult. There's no haram except they are wholesome Halal alternatives. You want to have festivity, have a nasheed group there. Play things that are not sinful. You want festivities, have cheerful activities that are not men and women dancing together, etc. Right? So when the sin becomes open and you know and general, you cannot remain in that kind of gathering. Right? If the sin is on the side of something, then, if you have no need to be there, avoid it. But if there's a recognized need and the sin is secondary, on the, you know, is on the margins, it is not haram. It's the difference between going into a nightclub and going into a shopping mall. In the nightclub, there's music playing and there's people who are in states of undress and doing wrong things. 
And all that is found in the mall as well. But can you go to the mall? Yes. Because the primary thing happening in the mall, which is things are bought and sold, and you're going there shopping, as long as you, what, the place, the primary activity there is not the, the impermissible, and your intent for going there is permissible, it is permitted for you to be there. Even if there's secondary sin. Now if you could have a choice between where to go shopping, choose a place that is more wholesome. That should be a governing criteria. Right? Or choose times that are more wholesome. Right? If you go to the mall on a weekday afternoon during your lunch break, there's far less people and far less madness than on the weekend, for example, or on a, on a weekday night, especially when things are busy. But to be in a place where the primary activity is sinful, or you will be falling into sin, is not permissible to even be there. Living in a place where sinfulness and corruption is so widespread that you're not able to safeguard your religion, you should keep away from public matters in those situations, which are all public circumstances that you don't need to be in, and where if you went there, you would be harmed. And you have no way of having an effect on that. There you have to take care of, your, of yourself and your family. Or for you to migrate from that place to another, which is better. So where should you live on God's earth? You should live in a place where you can safeguard your own religious practice. You can uphold your devotions to Allah and practice your religion in your work, family, and life, and you are able to safeguard the religion of your family. And ideally, you should be able to find a community of believers that you can uphold the good with. If any of that is threatened, then you should seek out a place where you are able to do that. And that hijrah lillah, and that migrating for the sake of Allah, is highly virtuous. But very often, people put pipe dreams. I wished I lived in a Muslim country. I wish this, I wish that. You yourself, are you striving to uphold the good in your own life? Who is preventing you but yourself? Are you upholding the good with your kids? No. Right? Someone said, my daughter was sick. So she's been like little kid, less than seven years old. Less than eight years old. So she's been watching Bollywood movies all day. So not only did you do something foolish for your child, but you talked about it, encouraged other people to engage in harmful things. And then you wonder, oh, there's so much fitna in society. No, you are the fitna in the society of your own home. Right? So change comes from oneself. Right? But he said, but where one can migrate to a place where one can uphold one's religion for oneself, one's family, and there be a community of believers, then, and ideally to be in a society where the, the default is the, is the upholding of the limits of Allah, that is facilitative. And he says, for if punishment comes down upon a place, it encompasses both the vile and the good. And it will, and the divine punishment would also affect the believer who did not command the good. But for the believer who did not fall short in giving victory to the religion of Allah, right, by striving their utmost to uphold it themselves, to uphold it in their family, and to call, command the good and forbid the, the wrong with the qualities of wisdom and gentleness and mercy and genuine concern, for them that punishment will be an expiation and a mercy. Whereas for others it would be a punishment and a requital for what they did. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. So this is a testing chapter right on commanding the good and forbidding the wrong 
it must be done in a manner that is good, with good intention, with gentleness, with wisdom, and it requires knowledge. There's no commanding the good or and forbidding the wrong in matters that are differed upon. Right? So you don't like it, but it's differed upon, you cannot command the good and forbidding the wrong. Say, so, well, there's a hadith. No, but there's difference of opinion about this because the hadith is differed upon in its interpretation. That's not from commanding the good and forbidding the wrong. Such as what? Such as, for example, a situation where you have, for example, some ladies put up these posters in masajid and stuff. Don't pray, women don't pray like a dog by having the forearm on the ground. Yes, there's a hadith about that. Who told you it applies to men? That is your interpretation. That who, who said it applies to women? The Prophet forbade praying um, with one's forearms down like a dog. It is your interpretation that it applies to, to women as well. Many of the early Muslims held that that's specific to men. And that the sunnah is that for women to, to pray with their forearms down. So if you, don't, if you follow the interpretation that no, women should not put their forearms on the ground, follow that interpretation. But be careful, who interpreted it that way? Besides you and a few people. Right? And anything that is differed upon between the mainstream schools of Sunni Islam is not subject to commanding the good or forbidding the wrong, let alone condemnation. You cannot like, dislike the person who does that, even if you don't like it. Because religion is not established on the basis of your whims. Right? So be, be, be careful about that. Matters that are nuanced of religious practice or religious judgment, they go back to the ulama. You see something wrong of the public wrong, take it to the scholars. How should we respond to this? Sometimes they'll respond, sometimes they'll see that just let it die out. We ask Allah subhanahu wa to grant us true faith and true concern for the good and to be of those who command the good and forbid the wrong in the right ways. Wa sallallahu ala sayyidina wa nabina Muhammad wa alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam wa alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. Thank you for listening. This lesson was brought to you by Seekers Guidance, the world's first truly global Islamic seminary. Visit SeekersGuidance.org to access reliable Islamic knowledge taught by qualified teachers. We offer a wide range of courses, podcasts, articles, and a world-class answer service, all completely free of charge. This is made possible solely by supporters like you. Be a partner in this blessed work by making a small donation at SeekersGuidance.org. Even $10 a month can go a long way. Our beloved Prophet, peace and blessings be upon him, said, Whoever guides someone to goodness will have a similar reward. So don't forget to share this lesson and join us in spreading prophetic guidance.